0: This message by Pastor Eric Lutie was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit Ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludi. Well, let's
1: kick off this Sunday morning um, with a little expectation uh, that God is going to do something great in our lives. This particular message is it's a deep uh it's like a game changer type of message there's, there's various truths that are harder to land it's uh, you know Abby, uh our 10 year old is in gymnastics and there's certain moves that you know you want to stick a good landing in a in a gymnastics movement but there's certain movements that are harder to do that if you're just jumping down from a chair to the ground that's pretty easy to stick And then there's certain flips that are harder because of the momentum of the body. You have to stabilize and get the center just right to land it and to stick it. This is one of those. It's a harder one to stick. It's a harder one to understand. And I want you to appreciate my title, Thorn Again. Uh, It's, uh, you know, it's like uh, someone's trying to say born again with a lisp, you know, thorn again. Uh, And it's interesting because when we're born again, we oftentimes presume that everything is going to be easy now. Because we've come to the living God who has power over all. He has crushed the head of the serpent. All that has been antagonizing us is defeated, is silenced, and now we are born again. And it's really helpful to understand that we are thorn again. Uh, (laughs) That we are still in a land of thorns. And that's shocking to many of us, and this is why it's hard to land our feet on this one spiritually, because scripturally, it actually enunciates this, but you have to be a miner. Uh, just like gold is on the surface, this is one that takes more study, more depth of, uh, of pursuit of Jesus Christ to grip and to, and to grab a hold of. And so let's go through that process. I'm going to try and go through this quicker uh, than uh, I would really want to, just to keep it as concise as possible. Uh, I've told Nathan, I sent Nathan the, uh, the notes for this. And so for all of you that are present here today, he's going to actually email those notes out to you. Technically, if someone is getting this via podcast, you could always contact us and we can get you the notes for this. But this is a note intensive message. And so for those of you that are here in the room, you could of course take notes. But if you were to try and take down everything I'm about to go through, it would be distracting for you. So I want you to take in the message, absorb the message, and know that you will get the notes as well. But take down whatever notes you want, I don't want to prohibit that. Thorn again. So introducing the man of smashed head. Many people, uh, scholars, and this is of course a guess, we don't know, like when it comes to Paul's thorn, what was his thorn? There's all sorts of speculations. One of the theories uh, in sort of the ancient church was that when he was stoned, Uh, and brought outside the city of Lystra and left for dead that his head was smashed and when he came back to life that's the way I would uh, interpret it when he comes back to life and heads right back into the city he has a distorted head (laughs) and to live with that would have always been a statement first of all it would have been a, a great weakness it would have been a statement to everyone in the world that he was judged and somehow lived right and so imagine carrying that around right and so i'm going to speculate off of that We're, that's that's not a, a biblical grounds where i can prove that that's what his thorn was but it is an interesting thought they stoned paul and dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead and so you can just imagine since stoning means i mean you, what, you don't throw a stone a little pebble at someone's foot to stone him you're going to crush their skull that's the best way to get the job done so you take a heavy rock and <laughs> smash it upon someone's skull so Paul went through that, and so that's why it's just a fascinating thing, and there's certain things in his writings where he's writing with a big hand, and you know, it's, it's possible that it affected his eyesight. It affected his life uh, in general, and the guy went through it. His body went through a lot. Paul the Apostle. It's interesting because we know that he's referenced in two different ways. It doesn't actually say that God gave him a new name. (laughs) We just know that he's called Saul of Tarsus and then he's Paul the Apostle. And so some of us have presumed that he's given a new name of Paul. But it's interesting, Paul could have been a nickname too. Then Saul, who also is called Paul. So the difference between these names is very interesting because uh, Shaul, uh, which is the name of the king of the Old Testament who is head and shoulders above everyone, is such an opposite name of what we see Paul as. Because it is the guy who is sought out, asked for, requested, desired, and picked. This is Saul of the Old Testament. And then we have Saul of Tarsus, who sort of plays that role, and yet he gets a nickname, or he gets a new name, however you want to look at it, Paulos. Small or little, this is what what it would be to us, AKA mini man, tiny wonder, munchkin, shorty, it actually means man of tiny stature. Isn't that interesting? So this, he goes from being, ha ha, and this mighty man of stature to, oh, you're just a mini man. You're just a munchkin. And I mean, could you, that's the the name that he wears proudly throughout the New Testament. We know him, the man who is changed as mini man. And yet what this mini man did was mighty. And by the way, The description of Paul in Christian history is that he was a short man, bald with a big Jewish nose. Now, we could add to that, crushed head. His back, you know, what, uh, scourged multiple times over and then healed over. He would have looked terrible in a swimsuit. (laughs) This man went through it. His body did not look that nice. Christianity. I'm going to give you just a quick summary of what we could look at Christianity as this morning, and that is relinquishing the Saul title. You could look good to the world. You could be head and shoulders above everyone, but when you come to Christ, it's interesting, but we all sort of get the name Paul. We look wrong to the world. So where we had the right name, and we looked the right way, and we were Saul, King Saul. I mean, that's the one that everyone picked. He was the giant in Israel. And then we need to become the Christian. Christian was a slur when it first came out. And so to wear that badge is the equivalent of wearing the title Paul, but joyfully accepting the Paul label. So Paul's life, we, we know, it was sort of a rough one. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. Now this is a man who has given his life to Jesus Christ you would think his life would suddenly get easier. I mean, isn't that the doctrine that we understand? It's health, wealth, and prosperity, isn't it? You come to Christ, you don't get that, but this all happened after he came to Christ. What? That's not what we expect, and that's one of our challenges, is when you take a North American vantage point into the gospel, you oftentimes distort it, and it actually leads to a distortion of your soul Because when you receive trials of many kinds, you consider them strange. As opposed to receiving what the scripture says is, do not consider it strange, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. Paul didn't consider it strange. And yet, didn't Jesus win on the cross? Didn't he say it is finished? Why do we still have trials in this world? Or, as you'll see me unpack here, why do we still have thorns? Introducing Paul's temporary home which is yours as well, AKA the land of thorns. Paul was born into a land of thorns, and get this, he was born again into a land of thorns. Though he was born again, the land that he was in didn't change. And that's a unique tension for the human soul, and it's a hard one for us as Christians to sometimes grasp. Then to Adam he said, cursed is the ground for your sake, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. There it is, it's a land of thorns, and though Jesus defeated the powers of sin on that cross. He crushed the head of the serpent. The world in which we live still boasts the evidence of that curse. Paul understood thorns. So 2 Corinthians 12, sort of the classic passage on Paul's thorn. Uh, It's a really interesting uh, passage, but it's it's a hard one to, to know how to work with. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into, a par- into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities, For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So what's interesting is he seems to be talking about this man who goes up to the third heaven in a third person, And then suddenly he becomes that man in the flow of the text. And lest he should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now, packaged into that passage is, I mean, the great secret of how to live out the Christian life, right there, in the land of thorns. It's there. It's just such an odd passage of scripture. It's like, now, what? There's some guy who went up to the third heaven. We get all distracted with all sorts of details of that. It's like he had a thorn. What's the thorn? And as a result, we miss the fact that God seems to go out of the way in Scripture to not tell us what the thorn is. It's okay. You don't have to know what that thorn is to understand that you're given a truth in this passage, to understand and comprehend the vast grandness of the schematic of God's kingdom. It is different than that third heaven. The third heaven is very different than what's going on down here. But this man on earth has that revelation down here in this earthen body, in this earthen realm. And though he has heaven inside of him, he is engaged in all-out war with hell. And how that tension works, what you see is Paul then begins to receive a clearer picture is that God's grace, his hesed, if you want to say it based on what we've been talking about this morning, is sufficient for him. For God's strength is made perfect in Paul's weakness. Paul doesn't think he should be weak. Why why should I be weak? And then God says, I've chosen that weakness. The weakness is not the, the problem. It's how you handle the weakness. And if you take that weakness and submit it to me, I will fill that weakness and reveal my strength in and through it. So you can rejoice in your weakness. Because in that weakness, I will prove my power and my strength. So Paul's thorn. It's given that he should not be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. It's a thorn Uh, in the flesh that was given to him. It's a messenger of Satan. Isn't that an interesting statement? To buffet him, lest he be exalted above measure. So the word for thorn is scallops. It translates as a thorn. Uh, A pointed piece of wood, a pail, a sharp stake, a splinter. This word can technically mean anything pointed. Paul uses this word indicating a tool of Satan wielded against him to buffet him. He calls it a scallops in the flesh or a scallops in his body, indicating something that greatly affected him in his physical being, that tried him in his body, possibly through bodily pain and the humiliation that came from whatever physical ailment he may have been suffering from. So we don't know. We just know how it's described. It's a scallops in his body. The confusion over thorns an exercise in biblical thinking and reasoning. So let's take what we know in Scripture and let's start to reason through thorns. A thorn is from the devil. It's a messenger of Satan. It's an operation of the power of sin. Okay, all right, we got that. God hates sin. God has defeated sin. Sin has no power over the believer. God is not subject to sin, nor are those who are in him subject to its power. Yay! Yay! Okay, so this is one angle we can look at, and it's all accurate. What I just gave you is truth, and yet we're going to have complementary truths come in, not contradictory truths, complementary truths that are necessary to understand how we live in this body, in this world. So this is true. That thorn was a messenger from Satan, however... God seems to leverage that messenger of Satan, which is confusing to us. It's like, is that messenger of Satan from God? Or is God taking what the enemy is trying to do and turning it? Okay, I just gave you a big hint in the second option I just gave you. The strange injection into our cheery biblical thoughts. But, God, but though God has proved victorious on the cross, he has left his children in a world still under sin's control. Hey, uh, God, wait, wait, wait a minute here. You're supposed to take me home with you. I'm still down here, and why is the devil still barking down here? Whoa, I got, I got enemy people like coming against me, trying to silence me. Hey, God, you might want to take me home. And God's saying, no, I have you right where I want you. And he has left them in bodies still subject to the old laws of decay and death. Hey, God, I could really use that new body right about now because I have a job to do down on this earth, and as long as I'm in this decrepit body, this body that's aging, this body that's falling to pieces, it's sort of hard to fulfill my duty. Hmm. And then it gets even more strange. And when we look heavenward to ask why, dear Lord, does this bodily weakness and human frailty remain? We see that he is not in the least bit moved with concern over this fact. He's not apologizing as if to indicate that this current bodily weakness in which we find ourselves was some bizarre oversight on his part. In fact, he seems to be pleased to have us here in this darkened globe in these old bodies. Furthermore, he indicates in his word that it is through this strange old world setup that he intends to work out our salvation, to exercise our faith unto maturity, and to reveal the person of Jesus Christ for all the world to see. Get this, he has purposely rescued us this way. This isn't an accident. Like we're talking to God, he's like, Oh no, I, I, I was supposed to fix that. Oh, it's too late. And, oh, I was going to give you your new body. Oh, no, I have it right here in the closet in heaven. And I, Oh, I'm so sorry. We're like, great, great. We're like stuck here and we, oh, no. He has purposely rescued us this way. All wisdom decided this. He knows what he's doing, guys. And so when we grumble and complain We are showing our lack of trust in the fact that he knows what he's doing. He knows what's best for us. He knows what's best for his glory. Do we trust that his ways are highest? He has purposely left us in the land of thorns, that we might, in and through suffering, prove a genuine faith, reveal the glory of Jesus Christ, and show forth unto the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. He's not shocked that we are in the land of thorns. He wants us here. He has us here on purpose, even knowing full well that his children will suffer greatly due to this fact. He has us here on purpose, and he has a gigantic smile of confidence on his almighty face. You do remember Psalm 2, which is an incredible messianic psalm, talking about uh, the one uh, enthroned on high, who's, you know, the nations of the earth are conspiring against him, and the one enthroned in heaven, remember what he does? He laughs. You see, this is a, state. He understands that there is a fallen world. He understands that it's even conspiring against him. And not just him, but against his body now, against his bride. The one enthroned in heaven still has a gigantic smile of confidence on his almighty face, and he still laughs. That didn't change. So, wowzer. All of that leads to wowzer. Now, let me get this straight. We are Christians, seated in heavenly places, secured in Christ Jesus. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. How do all these things work together? We're in a land of thorns. This world is the old world. Our bodies are an old body and yet Jesus says this. Look guys, we're changing the system. I'm crushing the head of the serpent I'm going to die, be buried, rise again. I'm going to take you with me. And you're going to be a new creature in Christ. And I'm going to take you with me into the heavenly realms and seat you in heavenly places. But your old body is still going to be here. I'm going to plant you in me. And I'm going to plant me in you in that old body. And we're going to get her done. In our mind, we could do this better. We could say, God, give me my second body, my like, Impenetrable body, like they shoot bullets at me and they bounce back and kill them. It's like, yeah, that would be cool. I could walk through walls. You know, I could do, I fly around maybe. Yeah, I could swim in water and not need any oxygen tank. It's like, whoa, that would be great. I want the new body now. He says, no, I have chosen weakness. I've chosen the weakness of this body and I want to move inside of this and call it my home. And I'm going to choose to use weakness through which I'm going to demonstrate my almighty power. That is a weird plan to us. We don't get it. But if we will start to accept it and say, God, you know best. Use this. Then Christianity starts to come together. It's like that gymnastic routine where you can land it. You can stick it. It's like, I got this. I understand this now. They, or those that believe on him, will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. This is like such an interesting thing because we have this, it seems at first like a contradiction. It's like, okay, wait a minute. We have power, but we're weak. How can both of those be true at the same time? And that's why this is such a unique tension to the Christian. But he, Paul, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. What we see is a demonstration in the book of Acts and throughout Christian history of unstoppables. It's like God gives us in these weakened bodies in this land of thorns a commission. And when we simply believe the Lord God, even though we're in weak bodies and even though we're in an earth and system that is contrary to us, even though the viper will jump out of the fire, latch onto our body, We shake it off and say, my job's not done yet. You see, that viper would typically take down this weakened old body. But when you actually figure out how Christianity works, you realize that though we are weak, God will demonstrate his power in and through this weakness. And he is not concerned about vipers. He's not concerned about scorpions. He's not concerned about thistle. He's not concerned... He has triumphed over it, though we are being exposed to it. But we are still in old bodies, on an old dying earth, which means our life circumstances are still vulnerable to practical thorns. I don't know if you've ever run into a practical thorn, but they're all over the place. There's different things. You could say, I'm gonna set out to do this, and there's just like practical obstacles. They just exist. It's called friction in this natural realm. (laughs) Friction just exists. To move forward, there's like this, this resistance that is against it. Our bodies are still vulnerable to physical thorns. And though we've come to Christ, we are still vulnerable. We are still exposed. There's like viruses floating around. Some guy sneezes and coughs, and there it is. It's floating around. It's like, whoa, oh, I'm not impenetrable. I have a certain vulnerability in this body. Our hearts and minds are still subject to the buffeting of verbal thorns. You notice that? That when you came to Christ, it seems like the volume of the enemy turned up, didn't just go silent. It's like, why why am I hearing so much enemy? Why is it that temptation didn't just go away? You see, we are still in a land of thorns and our hearts and our minds are still subject to the buffeting of verbal thorns. And get this, I know, this is a shocker, guys. God wants it this way for now. Okay, it won't always be this way, but right now we're in a season. David was anointed king of Israel. Saul was rejected, and guess what? No one recognized David as king. And as a result, it's a season of persecution that David enters into with 21 assassination attempts on his life. That doesn't seem right. Why doesn't God just knock Saul off his throne and kill him, strike him down with a bolt of lightning? Instead, what we see is a parallel in the Old Testament. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. But he's not recognized as such in the land of thorns yet. But he's recognized by us. So we bend our knee and we join him in the cave. And so we join in the persecution. We actually side with David and Saul is against David and therefore he's against us. Anyone who will side with him. It's a parallel. We're the mighties. Isn't that cool, I like the sound of that. Uh, We're the mighty men of old. Uh, We don't feel very mighty in our weakened bodies, but we are, that's the parallel. As believers, this is our assignment, to walk through this land of thorns for the stretch of time we have been given triumphantly. We will, or will we endure thorns? Absolutely. Will thorns at times appear to have hindered us or nullified our call? Most certainly. But can the thorns of Satan hinder the calling of God upon our lives? Not on your life. In fact, it is these very thorns that God has chosen to use as his primary means of showing forth his power, his strength, and his glory through us His children. Thorns are not from God. This could be one of the most important slides you ever see right here. Thorns are not from God, but thorns are used by God. Okay, there's a distinction there. The thorn isn't coming from God. God is not the author of sin. He's not the one creating uh, impediment and friction. He's not the one that's yelling at you through that demonically controlled character over there. And he's not the one pinning you to a cross. However, he will use every bit of it. What the enemy is meaning to harm the glory of God, God converts it every time. What the enemy means to stop the forward train of God's glory, God will convert it to exhibit his glory. The enemy cannot win. No matter what chess move the enemy makes, God goes, check, checkmate. Every time. God sees it all. He is over all. He's in control of all. And no matter what the enemy is meaning to harm, to harass, to undermine, God wins. So that's why when we side with God, we know that the enemy has nonsense up his sleeve. We know that he wants to resist us, and we rejoice at every turn. Yeah, I see what you're doing there, but God's going to get you on that one. Yeah, oh yeah, I see that you just plundered me of all my goods, but just watch, God's going to return it fourfold. He's really good at what he does. That's why we are the happiest people on earth. It doesn't matter. In fact, we get excited when someone steals from us. Why? Oh, we'll get it back uh, multiple fold. It's actually a great investment strategy. You know, you could put your money in a bank and get maybe 5% on it, right? But, or I could have my goods plundered, and I'm going to get it all back four times. It's like, that's really good, that's 400%. That's not bad. So we actually rejoice in everything, in all things. Nothing can sabotage our joy. We are Christians held in the hollow of God Almighty's hand. God takes all things the enemy means for evil and turns it to good. He works all things for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. We know the scripture. However, do we recognize that that actually means all things, all things, every one of this nonsensical junk that is coming against us in this fallen world? Everything gets turned. The big meanie's manure. I've used the illustration. If you've gone through Ellul, you've heard about manure, and you know the big pile of manure that gets set on your your door uh doorstep you know it's uh, most of us don't like manure okay if i just ask you so what do you think of manure it's like that stinks uh, you're right you're right however if you're a gardener it's funny or a farmer you have a strange love for manure you know it's a, it's a love hate thing because it stinks right but boy does it make good fertilizer and so when the devil gives his manure to you you might as well thank him and he leaves it on your front doorstep thank you thank you this is very valuable stuff. I mean, if you're going out and just shopping for that manure for your garden, I mean, that's expensive, right? Instead, the devil's giving it to you for free. So you take that and you till it into your life. And what happens is you grow even a greater fruit out of your life. You see what the enemy means for evil. God says, let's take that. Let's use that to grow you stronger. Introducing the special trampoline boots. Whatever pushes down. You guys know trampolines, right? And there's that, you know that one person that's jumping on the other side of the trampoline that tries to, de- is it deaden the jump? Is that what we discussed last semester? To deaden the jump. You know, they jump sort of in the off jump and then they, you lose your strength. That's what the devil's trying to do in life. We're like hopping, we're happening. Then we fall. It's like, what? Well, hey, what are you doing on my trampoline? <laughs> However, if you learn to use their downward push, you can actually jump higher. It's a special trampoline boots. The devil comes in and tries to try you, so you're like, ah, ha ha, and you go shooting up higher. Because the devil's sort of a heavy set character. He has a lot of weight to him, right? It's sort of a blubbery guy. And so as a result, he can shoot you pretty high. So, how should we respond to the thorns in our lives? Uh, here's a little insight from Paul Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You guys know the scripture, but we need to live it. We need to actually heed that. The man of smashed head. So we're going to look at a few different types of ways that we respond to these things. Paul has potentially a smashed head. Okay, I'm using that just as an illustration because it helps us see a physical infirmity. So he has a smashed head, and if any of us had a smashed head... You know, when we get ready in the morning and we're looking in the mirror, you know, and we, like for me, I see a little aging taking place. I see more gray sprouting out. You know, there's different things. You just are like, wow, is there's no way to slow down this aging process. You, and so that's, and, that, and I do not have a smashed head. Okay, so I don't necessarily feel insecure about a smashed head, but we still all have a tendency towards insecurity. You know, we don't look the way we think we should look. Could you imagine if you had a smashed head and you got in the morning, you're like brushing your teeth, you're like, oh boy. (laughs) You know, your mouth is over here. You're like, "Uh." I mean, that would be a challenge to go out every day. You get dressed in your nicest garb, but you still have a smashed head. No matter what you do, you just look funny. You look weird. In fact, if you're in that culture, you know what that looks like. This guy could have been stoned which means he was under condemnation and judgment. Huh, I don't know that I should even listen to this guy. He sounds like he's wanting to say something intelligent. what, What good could he give? And so you can just imagine the type of feeling. So we're gonna call this the thorn that persisted. There's sometimes things in our life that persist, even though we say, God, I know this is a messenger from Satan. I know the enemy's trying to buffet me. But could you remove this? I've had thorns that have persisted in my life. I had a, before Ellerslie started, I had three straight years of a voice. It was like a demonic voice that would say, give up, you're nothing. No one wants to listen to you. Just be quiet over, over and over again, all day long, every day for three years. That's a hard thing to go through It's like a psychological thorn that I had. And you know what's interesting? After about year two, because in the beginning, I'm like, God, take this away. I would rebuke this thing. I, I mean, I was, I was aggressively trying to deal with this because like, I know I have power and authority over this. Why in the world do I still have this? And I finally got this. What I see in uh, 2 Corinthians is Paul is talking about his thorn. And so, okay, God, your grace is sufficient. You know what i begin in the third year? That voice could be hollering, and I would leverage it. It was like fertilizer. It's like, okay, I'm getting stronger. Now to this day, I know that voice a mile away. I am an expert on that voice. And so if that voice is speaking to you, you want me around, believe me. I know that voice and I know how to hit it in the teeth. I know how the enemy tries to discourage the saints of God and to get us to shut up. Well, how would you know that, Eric? Well, I have a PhD on the subject. How'd you get a PhD? I went through a school. (laughs) A school of thorns is what I went through. And guess what? It's gold to me now. So what the enemy meant for evil is actually a great strength in my spiritual life. Isn't that just a fascinating statement? And so I could go through and I could tell you different thorns that I've had in my life for seasons or we you say that persisted. And I have certain ones that have persisted for most of my life. I've had false accusation against me When we were first uh, in ministry, there was a, an idea that went around that I had uh, left Leslie and divorced her. And this is like early internet days. And it's like a weird thing when you think that something like that is spreading around. It's like, I, I'm happily married to Leslie. Who you, what? And I didn't know how to use the internet. I didn't know anything about it. So it's like, you just feel this vulnerability. It's like a thorn. That's the best way of describing it. It's like jabbing you and you can't do anything about it. And you can't just easily remove it. It's like, hey, could someone pull that thorn out? God, could you remove that? Could you delete all the conversation on this all over the internet? And it's persisted. It's just like a, a thorn. And you... Learn to rejoice, and you actually learn to take that manure and till it, and you get stronger through it. I know it sounds strange, but that's that's this. This is what Paul could have been talking about. His smashed head, the man of no head. So Paul did eventually lose his life. He had a thorn that went (laughs) and actually removed his head. So the thorn unto death that was removed. You know that his thorn was removed. When you cut off the head, that thorn (laughs) was removed. Okay, Paul, I'll get that thing removed for you, thonk. You see, there is a thorn that is unto death, too. All of us are going, we live in a mortal body, and we should not fear losing this life. And Paul is going to address that in the upcoming slides here. And then we have the man of bitten hand, the thorn that proved the divine authority and mission of the apostle Paul unto the savages. Then there's things that will try and sting us, Thorns that will press in. And as we stand in faith, boom, they just bounce off and they actually prove to the natives of that little, that little island, it's like, whoa! Now they thought he was a god because he was untouched by the thorn. There's all sorts of different forms of thorns that we can encounter. Sometimes we will demonstrate the power and the authority of Jesus Christ in the instant before a watching crowd because of our stand against thorns. And sometimes we have to carry a smashed head In and through this life. And God's saying, this is for my glory. Rejoice. My grace is sufficient for you right now. In and through this strength, in and through this weakness, my strength is going to be made perfect, Paul. Oh, God, but I look so funny. Are we willing to walk this God's way? He knows how to do it. The triumphant mindset of the believer. I will accomplish my purpose here on earth. No thorn can stop me to live as Christ. So, Hey, I have Jesus Christ, and I know that I can walk on scorpions, snakes and scorpions, and nothing shall by any means hurt me. And so we live with a confidence. I will eventually, and this is another uh, way of saying it, I will eventually come to my last day and finish this race. My time in the land of thorns will end. Praise God, to die is gain. You see, both are true. I have a job to do down here on this earth, and as long as I still have that job to do, guess what? I fully expect to carry it out. And that's the way I look at Paul getting stoned. It's like he's not done with his job. So he pops back to life. That's at least the way I say it. It doesn't say that he died, but that's what stoning's for. And so he pops back with his smashed head and he goes, Hey guys, let's go back into Leicester. We're not done. You see, nothing could stop Paul until it was his time. You know that you look at the body of Christ, Jesus Christ himself. Nothing could stop him. They tried to lay hands on him. They couldn't. It was until he knew it was time, the fullness of time, and he gave himself. That's the way each of us are. You know that the apostles, they even knew when it was their time. I mean, you see that over and over and over again. It's like, you know, I've finished the race. It's time. I'm going home. And there's a preparation to know. It's not the time to fight. It's the time to relinquish. It's the time to yield. My time in the land of thorns will end. Praise God. To die is gain. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to the land of thorns to empty thorns of their power to harm us. It's a key thing that I want you to realize is that though we are in a land of thorns, Jesus has emptied the power of thorns of their ability to harm us. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. We're like, well, oh, I sure do feel hurt. You're not hurt though. Your spirit, man, is invincible. You see, if you recognize what Jesus Christ has done, he has emptied the power of thorns from their ability to actually harm you. Yeah, they can kill you. You can lose your head. Yeah, you know, that was a thorn. Yeah, that smashed head doesn't feel too good, but guess what? It can't actually harm you. To live is Christ. To die is gain. No matter what the thorns do, they actually have no power over you. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We can now walk on thorns, be tried by thorns, be mentally buffeted by thorns, be pierced by thorns and even die due to the bludgeoning of thorns. But these thorns cannot hurt us. But rather these thorns are being used by God to build us, strengthen us, refine us. We can thank God for thorns. The thorn remover always wins. God's a thorn remover. He always wins. Every thorn will prove to be under his power and control. Every thorn. There is not a thorn in all of world history that has come to a saint, that has come against a saint, that will not be proven to ultimately be under his power and control. Every thorn will prove to only have brought about life in and through the man and woman of faith. Every thorn will be removed, some prior to death and some by death. It's funny because a thorn is removed by death. And when you, are, when you die and you get your new body, believe me, you won't be complaining about your thorns. That thorn will be removed. Every thorn will be removed. It's just that they are removed in different timing. And they all have a purpose. Every thorn will bend its knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. So how should we pray? That's an interesting question. Because in 2 Corinthians, you see Paul praying three times to have his thorn removed. You know, it's strange, but it never says that Paul's thorn wasn't removed because we don't know what his thorn was. God just gives him an answer that his grace is sufficient for him. But it doesn't say, you know, in the years to come that Paul's thorn wasn't removed. We don't know. So the conclusion shouldn't be God doesn't remove thorns. God does remove thorns. However, what we see in the Paul story is how to deal with a long-suffering of a thorn, how to engage in it and to rejoice even when it persists. So how should we pray? Let's pray fervently that every thorn be removed. And with full confidence, we keep asking and asking and asking, for we have full confidence that he will indeed remove every thorn. And we submit to the undeniable fact that God knows better than we do how to leverage the benefits of the thorn in our lives. And we ask that God receive his full due and that the maximum possible glory would be revealed in and through this thorn. No more fear of the bully thorn. Thorns try and bully us, is what they do. The devil's entire kingdom works on fear and anxiety. And so if he can get us to fear a thorn, he's got us. But if we are fearless in the face of the land of thorns, and the enemy's like, thorns, thorns, we're going to get you with thorns. Your thorns can't harm me. Your thorns can't stop me. I'm a Christian. And they stick a thorn in us. and They're like, ah, I'm going to rejoice with that thorn. I feel a little sting in my side. You see, the devil, it drives him crazy. It's sort of like that one steel-toed boot situation in the Romanian prison with Richard Wurmbrandt and the, the guard is kicking him in his ribs and just beating him to a pulp. He says, you ready to speak? Are you ready to speak? Tell me who you are in cahoots with. Tell me the underground church names. I want to know them. Kick him in the ribs again. Are you ready to speak? Yes. All right, ready to speak. What do you have to say? I love you. Jesus loves you. (laughs) That's that's good. That's good. You see, we don't fear the thorn. What comes out of us is what came out of Jesus. Life. Love. No matter what happens to us, it's being converted inside of us. Is that steel-toed boot, does it feel good? No. In the physical side, this doesn't feel good. I, I, I guarantee you that Uh, nails in the hands and the feet don't feel good a crown of thorns pressed into a head doesn't feel good your back flayed wide open stuck against splintery wood i guarantee you it doesn't feel good especially when you're breathing going up and down against it was it pain yes but in the midst of that pain is grace in the midst of every cross you will ever carry which is a great picture of a thorn don't you think a sharp piece of wood. Out of every cross that you are assigned to carry in this life, God's grace is superior to the pain. God's grace and his consolation is greater than the challenge and the weight of that cross. In other words, you will have more from God than is required of you in this weakened body. You have an abundance for every good work. So should you fear that thorn If you know that when you receive it, you have an abundance of everything you need to bear it well. No, you shouldn't fear it. But you do know that God is going to win. We live in a land of thorns, and in the end, thorns will not prove to outlast God. God will prove that every thorn will bend its knee and declare that he is Lord. Right now, we're in a season. We're in a season of trial of tribulation, of challenge. But we have been given everything we need to triumph in this season. So no more fear of the bully thorn. The truth will set you free. The many forms of Satan's thorns. Sounds like sort of a poem there. The many forms of Satan's thorns. So this is Paul. He goes through and he says, look, I'm going to rejoice in all of these thorns now. In infirmities. So upon the body. A thorn upon the body. And for, for each one of us, there's probably different thorns that are harder to rejoice in than others. Now, what's interesting is if you've gone through a persistent thorn in any one of these areas and you've allowed God to teach you, it's amazing the strength that he can, can give you. But if you've never gone through it, like if you've never gone through an infirmity in your body, like we have different people in Ellerslie that have had longstanding infirmities and they've been, we've prayed for them time and time again and yet something is persisting. Here's what I can say some of the most beautiful pictures of grace at work in a human life have come out of those people. It's because they recognize that God's grace is sufficient. That does not mean that we stop persisting in prayer, that we don't continue to ask that that thorn be removed. But we know that as long as that thorn is there, there is a grace and a supply of God's power to endure very enormous difficulties at times. In needs, upon finances, upon finances, so if any of you have ever had struggles in finances, whew, that's, that's a pretty good description of a thorn. It's interesting because different times in Christian history, like have you guys ever heard of Elizabeth Fry, she reformed the entire prison system in England. Incredible woman. She had like 10, 11 kids. And an amazing woman, right? But her husband was a very wealthy man. Uh, they were in the Quaker tradition uh, of the church. And back in those days, they had a very odd mentality, and that is that if you ever struggled financially, you must have sin in your life. And so they would actually excommunicate you from the church if you were struggling financially. Boy, that's an interesting doctrine, uh, isn't it? And so what this man was a very successful businessman. He was a banker, he owned a bank. And because of the recession that hit England at the time, he actually had a run on the bank, he lost everything. So he lost his bank and the church excommunicated them. (laughs) I mean, that's just like, hard to even imagine, but that's, again, a thorn that, if you look at what happened in this couple's life, you recognize that God leveraged them to change, I mean, the world in which they lived. It's truly remarkable, but wow, they experienced challenges. The first one, when you talk about physical challenges, one of the greatest, and I have a message, I'm trying to remember what it's called, It's called The Necessity of Shade. So if you look for a message called The Necessity of Shade, one of my studies in it, I go through Paul the Apostle, but I also go through Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon in his young 30s began to develop some neurological issues where uh, at, at certain points in his life he had such extreme pain in his body that if someone was walking heavily on the ground, it would be like knives being jabbed into his body. And he lived with this throughout his life. Yet, most people don't recognize, A.W. Tozer spoke about Spurgeon and actually says that this man healed more people than probably any other ministry that we've ever heard of that had a healing ministry. People would come to Charles Spurgeon and for whatever reason, when he would pray for people, they would be healed. And yet, look at him. Isn't that just interesting? So he had a weakness in his body, but God gave him a grace to give life to others. Isn't, I mean, it's just extremely interesting to see how God, to recognize his wisdom, in how he keeps a vessel humble, because Charles Spurgeon was one of the most famous people in all the world at the time. People would travel from America and come back to uh, to, to England and come back, and they were asked two questions. Did you see the queen, and did you hear Charles Spurgeon preach? That was how high up it was, as far as even the esteem of Americans. So this man, lest he be exalted above measure, was given a thorn in the flesh. It's an amazing thought to just process through these things and to recognize God knows what is necessary. Even if it's the devil saying, I'm going to take out Charles Spurgeon. God is going to leverage that in Charles Spurgeon's life to bring about a great glory. In reproaches, in persecutions, upon the thoughts, upon the reputation, upon the relationships. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard the the story from Brother Yoon. He was... uh, a man in the Chinese underground house church movement, and uh, he described he made a statement he came over to the United States after escaping uh, China uh, with his life, and he was in Canada I, I want to say at this time, and there was all this accusation against him, you know saying that all his stories were false uh, that he told in his book and this is what he said he, you know he had suffered greatly in his physical body, and he said uh, most people think that the greatest form of suffering is physical, but actually the greatest form of suffering is psychological. And that's what he says, it's been far more difficult uh, for him to go through false accusation than it was even physical torture. That's a, that's a fascinating uh, thought. But in reproaches and persecutions, that's what this is, and it is very difficult, and I can uh, I could tell you a lot about this list here. In distresses, how about upon the circumstances? where your circumstances are extreme, and they heighten the flow of adrenaline in your body. You see, this is a hard way to live. When you live in a heightened state of adrenaline because of your circumstances, it depletes certain aspects and functions in your body and leads to all sorts of other physical challenges. But distresses, I mean, this guy was shipwrecked. I mean, this guy went through such extreme distresses, but even in distresses, he says, God's strength is made perfect, so I can take joy. In even distresses. Isn't that just an odd thought? Paul's bewildering statement about his own bodily suffering. God's grace is sufficient for this thorn. His strength is made perfect in the weakness this thorn is preying upon. Paul gladly boasted in in his thorn because it was the avenue through which the power of Christ rested upon him. Paul took pleasure in whatever form the thorn might take. He applied the thorn lesson to every thorn he might ever face. Maybe we should do the same. It's a thorn lesson, and Paul applied it straight across the board. Don't just wait for a smashed head to say, well, when I get a smashed head, then I will pull the Paul lesson out. But Paul is taking his very own lesson that God has given him, and he's applying it. Therefore, he says, I will most gladly rejoice in this, in this, in this, in this, and in this. Maybe we should do the same. I realize you are probably quite excited to receive your next thorn. I mean, after a message like this, it's like, God, can I please have a thorn? (laughs) Isn't it funny, you can hear about all the benefits of a thorn, (laughs) and still not really know if you want one or not. You will not need to request thorns of God, for he doesn't bring them. Rather, you live in a world full of thorns, Therefore, you will have no shortage of opportunity to realize this great grace in Christ Jesus. Move forward, saints of God. Never fear. Thorns will come. And do not consider it strange when thorns come, my dear brethren. They will. For you represent the single greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness. Take it as a compliment. God's grace Sufficient. I am a very happy guy. I don't know if you figured that out. <laughs> and yet, it's not because of the absence of difficulty in my life, it's because of the presence of a superabundance of grace. And as a result, I have practiced the Paul lesson on thorns for years of my life, and it works. It does. And I have seen God turn so many of these thorns into tremendous pictures of grace. Triumph over and over and over again. And I'm not Paul. I haven't lived as long as he did. I don't have as many testimonies. My life isn't as extreme. But I can say amen. I understand what you're saying, Paul. Whereas when I was young, I didn't. I was so afraid of I, I, mean, I had that thing. I said, like, God, I know how the early church was, but do we have to live that way now? Do we, I mean, do we, can't I consider it strange that when I face trials of many kinds? He who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? God, is it possible to live a godly life and not? In other words, we, I feared the thorn, which is why I call it the bully thorn. See, it's a bully. It's like, I've got you. I've got you. You should fear me. When you finally rise up in the truth and say, I do not fear you, because even if you come against me, God's grace is greater. You guys ever remember uh, Charles Spurgeon's message? He gave a message on that Second Corinthians passage, and he was in his study. And he was preparing the message on my grace is sufficient. He was preparing a sermon on it. And then suddenly he started laughing out loud. And he was just, you know, like the belly laugh type of thing. He saw it. He saw how profound that word sufficient was. And it was like the little fish crying out to God in the vast ocean water saying, Oh God, I'm concerned that there will not be enough water for me in this vast ocean. Oh little fishy, my water, my ocean water is sufficient for thee. It's like the little mouse in the granaries of Egypt after, the store, after Joseph had stored it up for seven years. You know, panicking that there isn't going to be enough grain for him to nibble on. And saying, God, God, there's not enough grain. And then God saying, oh little mousey. My grain is sufficient for thee. Or it's like the man standing on a mountaintop and concerned that he's going to run out of oxygen. And then God's saying, Oh, little man, my oxygen is sufficient for thee. God's grace is not just there in some small dollop or measure. It is so sufficient. It is so present. It is so available. That when you see it, it's the equivalent of Elisha's servant having his eyes opened. He no longer fear the Syrian army. How pathetic is that? There's a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire. So what you focus on is everything. Focus on the grandness, the sufficiency of God. Don't focus on your little thorn. Your little thorn will pass away. And right now, you might as well treat it as a pile of manure on your doorstep and say, Thank you! Thank you. This is going to make for some great fertilizer. Father, I pray that the truth would set us free and that we would see clearly, we would understand well your truth, your life. And Lord Jesus, that you would build us after your pattern.
0: We love you. And we submit to you. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com. E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E dot com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.